Aren't you so glad for the love of God? If it weren't for the love of God, you and I wouldn't be here this morning. Amen? Amen. And so we're going to look at this uh, second message of the series of a renewed walk. And we're going to look at verse 1 in Ephesians 5. The Bible says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ hath also loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor let's pray father our gracious God our loving Lord we do come before you this morning and we thank you and praise you for the God that you are and the God that you've always been and will be father you are altogether lovely high and lifted up and holy we can't thank you enough for the character that you have demonstrated to us in the pages of this book and in your son our Lord and Savior we ask and pray, dear God, that we will imitate and walk after you and your son. That we would live out the Christian life to the glory of God. I pray that you'd help us this morning not to be stubborn, arrogant, but to be humbled by your word. Not to make excuses or blame shift. But rather, Lord, that we would walk and focus on our walk with you. I pray that you would continue to get a hold of us. As believers and those that are not saved this morning, I pray you get a hold of them. I pray that you continue to communicate to their hearts and minds the need of a saviour. I pray, Father, for those that cannot be with us today, uh, that you continue to uh, keep them from evil, have your mercies upon them, and continue to grow them in Christ our Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we looked at the introduction of a renewed walk. We looked at three things. We looked at the past walk, the present walk, and also the purposeful walk. And this morning we'll get into part one of the series, a renewed walk. And the first thing we'll look at is uh, walking in love. And uh, we'll look at three main things. We'll look at the source of love, the supremacy of love, and the subjects of love. And I want you to note that we'll focus more on the first point. So I'll perhaps spend about 40 minutes on the first point and then perhaps get into the second or third point if we have time. But I don't want you to worry about if I've spent 40 minutes on the first point that the, the second and the third point will be the same, although that would be nice. But, uh, but we'll probably see it again next week. I mean, we're talking about the love of God here to begin with. And the source of love, I mean, you know, you, know, you, you, you perhaps need about like we just heard in the hymn. You cannot fathom the love of God if you spoke about every detail of it. We cannot fathom the love of God. But what we at least do uh, and can do this morning is get a gist of it and help, the, help us with our walk as we imitate him. And so we'll look at the first, without any further delay, the source of love. Now the Christian life, what we have to understand, is built on the foundational truth that God is love. I mean, he's defined, or at least John defines him to be, you know, a God is love. That's a definition of God. Uh, Paul says it this way, the God of love. And so we, we, we've built our life, if you will, as Christians on that foundation. As a matter of fact, that was, or should have been, the very thing that drew us to repentance 
And what Paul says to the Romans very clearly, that in Romans 2 verse 4, Oh, the deepest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leadeth thee to what? To repentance. You know, God's demonstrated the same love. That's what God did. He demonstrated the same love, not only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. Look at Jeremiah 31 says, The Lord have appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with a what? Everlasting love. Therefore, with, with loving kindness, have I what? Drawn thee. See, it's the love of God, it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance or draws us back to God. It's God opening, opening up the floodgates of love so we may uh, get a second chance and make the wrong right. I thank God for that gift, if you will, if you want to call it a gift, for us to get back right with God. Aren't you glad for that? You know what made it possible? The love of God made it possible for us. You know, if, if God ne, ne, didn't act upon his love, you and I would be finished. If he just acted upon his justice, we would not be here today. He would judge every single one of us rightfully. Because that's also based upon his holiness and who he is. But God is also a God of love. He's a God of second chances. That we, you and I, get the opportunity to have a right standing with God and make peace with God again. Notice how Paul describes it to the Ephesians. He says this in Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God who is poor in mercy, does it say that? No, rich, rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. You know what that, not just love, it's a great love. You know why it's a great love? Because he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for us. I mean, that's a... I mean, that's, a, that's a love that we cannot fathom. This is a gift which is unspeakable, uh, you know, at least for those that appreciate it. I know and understand that there are those that do not appreciate the love of God nor see it. And that's another sermon for another day. It could be because they're so selfish and they're wrapped up with themselves. They have the symptoms of Lucifer who they love me do. But if you, if you see God for who he is and how loving and kind and forbearing he is, then you would, you would come to the knowledge of the truth that God is love and always will be. It's an everlasting love. It's a love that will follow us all the way to eternity. It's, it's a great love. It's, it's a love that has no uh, fault in it. It's perfect love. And by the way, John says perfect love cast out fear. And you and I, Christians, through this sermon today, have to imitate that love. We have to walk in that love. That's what Paul is calling us. See, we don't have this love. We have to have this love cultivated and developed in our life as Christians. We don't have the love of God flowing out of our life. Now, we've learnt this love and, 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 and we've seen this love and now we have to propagate this love in our lives, uh, you know, into the life of others. And this is what Paul is calling for every single one of us. In verse 1 he says, uh, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. So Paul begins chapter 5 by encouraging us to walk in love. In chapter, verses 1 and 2, to walk in love. First of all, to be followers of God, which means to be imitators of God. 
to follow in his footsteps, if you will, or uh, to walk in the likeness of God, to imitate him. Every child wants to imitate their father and every Christian should imitate their heavenly father. And if you do not, then God calls for that to take place. He calls for it. It's like with my son this morning. He, uh, you know, my youngest boy, he was rolling around the pews and I told him to sit up straight and sit down and fold his arms like this so he doesn't fidget and sing. And, uh, and so I stood and, and I did this and he copied me. And then he started doing these ones. I said, no, I'm not doing that. It's this. I'm not doing these ones. And then he's, you know, the temptation of doing these ones was very strong. And, uh, and then when James says, let's get up to sing the next song, he still sat doing these ones and he's looking at me like this. I said, yeah, okay, get up. And he's still looking at me. I said, yeah, get up. And he, he got up and he stood and he started doing these ones again. I said, no, you don't do it that way. And so God is calling for us to imitate him, to follow after him. Notice the word, therefore, be ye therefore followers of God, which throws us back to chapter number four, takes us back to four to see what areas we are to follow God after. What are, what are the areas that God wants us to imitate? And so in verse 32, if we go back to Ephesians 4, it says, He be ye, be, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Notice the phrase, even as God. Even as God. See that phrase? For Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So we're going back. Therefore, uh, gets us to go back to see what it's there for. And, and, and we're seeing that here, that God wants us to imitate him in these areas. We ought to walk in the kindness of God, even as he is kind. This is what we're looking at. First of all, number one, uh, how we should follow God? Being kind. Follow God, be kind, because God is kind. What does, it, what does it mean to be kind? It means to be good and gracious to others. Uh, someone defined it like this. An unselfish concern for the welfare of others. Kindness is one of the definitions of love. We see in 1 Corinthians 13, charity, which is love, suffereth long. And is what? Kind. It's kind. Uh, we see one of the reasons why the Proverb 31 woman was called virtuous was because of her kindness. The Bible says she opened her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of what? Kindness. Kindness is one of the seven virtues that Peter instructs Christians to add to their faith. And, to, and he says to godliness, brotherly kindness. And, so, and also to brotherly kindness is charity, which is love. So Paul also tells the church, by the way, in, in, in Colossae, to put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies and what? Kindness. It's all over the scripture. I mean, we can go on and on and on to uh, get more verses that depicts this is one of the character traits of a child of God. Uh, uh, the new man we need to put on is kindness. God is kind. We ought to be kind. The opposite is true. What's the opposite of kindness? Not having compassion. Not being, uh, 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 you know, uh, merciful. Uh, it's, it's, it's to be heartless careless, uh, it, it is everything that God is not, ruthless. I mean, honestly, today, to, to get some sort of goodness and gracious, gracious uh, acts or words from Christians, I mean, you're hard-pressed. 
You're hard-pressed. I want to say that they're a Christian. But they're not walking as a Christian, as in in this area, that they're not being gracious or kind. They're ruthless. Their manners is just forget about it. If that's how a Christian acts, I don't want to be a Christian. And so God wants us to walk as he walked. And how did he walk? With kindness. Kindness and gentle words and words that edify. And we see that, we, we'll look at that in a moment. Words that uplift, gracious words. I mean, again, the Proverb 31 woman, in her tongue was found the law of kindness. Kind woman. Gracious woman. And so God wants us to imitate him. Kindness is the expression of love and mercy that God has shown toward us. I want you to see, turn your Bibles to Titus 3. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 3. Notice what the Bible says in verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes, what? As Christians, we, we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But look at this. But after that, the what? After that, the what? Kindness and love of God our Saviour toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, we have done, but according to what? His mercy, he saved us. You know, if anyone demonstrated love and kindness, it was God through his son. That he saved us through the love of and kindness of his heart. In other words, God wasn't ruthless. He had mercy. We know what mercy is because we see the merciful one. I mean, we wouldn't know what mercy is if, if, God, if God didn't show up. And says, this is how mercy looks like. I mean, he demonstrated it in the wilderness. He actually even demonstrated it in the garden. You look all the way through history and you look even to the future. God has always been merciful. Always been kind. And so we need to be merciful and kind. We need to be gracious and loving and kind. And in this area, God is calling for that. God is inviting us to imitate him and follow after him in this area. And so we need to walk in love. And walking in love is to be kind. Not only kind, but he also says, number two, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. To be tender-hearted is to have the heart of God that feels for others. That's what com compassion is, by the way. Compassion is to feel for others, is to have pity on. And it says in verse 32 that we ought to be tender-hearted. In other words, not hard-hearted, it's tender, it's soft. A tender heart is to see others forgiven when they sincerely ask for forgiveness. If someone is broken before you because they've done something wrong and they're asking for mercy and forgiveness, well, the Bible tells us to forgive them. That's, that's tender-hearted. That's being compassionate. A heart to see others, listen, restored, not destroyed. Uh, a heart to see others come good, uh, not, not to see judgment come upon them. A heart that is not hardened and closed to communication and restoration. A heart that is tender, open. A heart that has pity upon others and truly forgives the offences of others. That's what God wants us to have. Every one of us, a tender heart. A heart that is like God's. Because it says he, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He's the example. Yeah, in other words, it's clear. We've been forgiven. If, you, if you're here today, you've been forgiven by Christ. You're a Christian. Uh, you've been forgiven by God. Well, as God has forgiven you in Christ, you forgive others. You be tender-hearted like your, fa your Father in Heaven is, and you forgive others. 
Forgiven people forgive people, by the way. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiven people forgive people. Uh, they imitate their Father. They follow God. Uh, forgiveness is a willingness to show mercy to the offender and harbours no desire for vengeance. You, you want me to say that again? Forgiveness is a willingness to show mercy to the offender and to harbour no desire for vengeance. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 9 He that covereth a transgression seeketh what? That word covered means to forgive. If someone's coming to you and they're asking for mercy or forgiveness upon something uh, that they have done towards you, an offence, uh, you cover it. You say it's forgiven. It's covered. And you do it out of love. You do it because uh, it's kind. And, uh, and, but, but, look at the conjunction. But he that repeateth a matter separate, separates what? Very friends. So, by the way, this tells us that true forgiveness doesn't raise the dead. If it's covered and forgiven under the banner of love, you never repeat it again in the future to use it against the person. Never. That you've forgiven. That you say that you've forgiven. Let me ask you a question. Does God ever bring back our past and rub it in our face after it's under the blood of Christ? No, not, not, not if you read your Bible very carefully. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he remembers them no more. What a blessing that is. When God forgives, listen, listen, He forgives. When God, when God has mercy, He has mercy. And God wants us to follow in that step. God the Father is the true source of true love and forgiveness. I want you to see in Psalm 86. Turn your Bibles there. I want you to see this. In Psalm 86, notice verse 5. Psalm 86, notice verse 5. Psalm 86, look at verse 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to what? Wow. You know, you know what is, the psalmist is saying? You're ready to forgive. In other words, it's almost this. You've got your hands open, ready to forgive those that are simply asking for forgiveness or those that are simply ready and broken to claim your mercy, you're ready. You, 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 you know, God will never cast out the one that comes to him. Never. He's not like that. If they're broken and contrite, he always forgives. Always. Look, look at this. And plenteous in what? Mercy upon all them that call upon him. Always. Plenty in mercy. Plenty. Overflow with mercy. It, 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 it's limitless almost. You remember what Peter said? Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? What did Jesus say? You know why he said that 70 times seven? Because that was the heart of God. That was the heart of God. Now think about this. When, when you got saved and you trusted the mercy of God upon your life, think about this. How many times, even after a Christian, God had mercy upon you for doing wrong? How many times? Can you count them? <laughs> He's plenty. And he pities us. Look at verse 15. Thou, O Lord, he says, but thou, O Lord, art, he says this, are God full of what? Full of compassion 
and gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy in truth. Full to the brim. Now, 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 let me stop this and say, this message is not for us to take advantage of God's love and kindness and mercy. It's not that at all. This message is not there to basically, you know, cause us to continue to sin. No, you know, Paul already dealt with that when he said, shall we continue in sin that grace may what? Abound? No, no, God forbid. So this message, don't get it wrong. We're learning how God loves so we can love like God. That's what this message is of. It's not, it's not to take God's grace for granted and say, oh man, the love of God is so wonderful. It allows me to continue in sin and keep sinning. No. As a matter of fact, if you really understand the love of God, it draws you to his heart in repentance. You know, you, you, you understand what I'm trying to say? It's not this greasy grace. No, it's really seeing the love of God upon your life that you look to him and say, dear God, I want to love like that. The love wherewith you have showed me, I want to show to others. And that's what, and this is the whole point of the message. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 103. I want you to see this. Psalm 103. And look at verse 8. The Lord is what? Merciful. And what? Gracious. Slow to anger. Plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sin, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as he says, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Now I want you to understand, to them that what? Fear him. So in other words, there is a, a, the, the, the love of God that opens up the hand and says, I'm willing to forgive those that come and fear me. And those that come that fear him, the mercy of God is, is, is given to them. So there are people that have experienced the mercy of God and there are people that haven't. And I'm taking it for, the, for granted that most of us here have experienced the mercy of God in our life. And we can understand what this psalmist is saying. He says in verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far have he removed our transgression from us. Wow. As far as the east is from the west, God has removed the forgiven ones, those that have come and asked for mercy, those that have feared God, he has removed them altogether. Aren't you glad for that? Blotted out. Never to hold it against you. Wow. It's tremendous. Once it's forgiven, it's forgiven. I know the devil tries to remind you of those things that you've done in the past that God has forgiven. He does that all the time and he probably uses other people to do that. To remind you. And by the way, when that happens, you know what that, you know what that does to my heart? It humbles me once again to remember the grace of God, how he has forgiven me. There's a little old lady on the porch and she had a little granddaughter and, uh, and, she, and she would go to her granddaughter and, 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 and she, would, she would say, you know, Grandma, uh, what, do you, what do you do when the devil tempts you and reminds you of your past? She tells him, oh, I'll tell him to go to the east. And then she, she says to him, well, what if he comes back and tempts you again? She says, oh, well, I'll tell him to go to the uh, west. And what about again? She, I'll just tell him, go to the east and west, east and west. Amen. Because that's where God has removed our iniquities. 
Go find them over there, you little demon. Go have a look what God has done. He's forgiven me. He's forgiven me. Aren't you glad to be forgiven? <clears throat> look at verse 13. Like as a father pitieth, look, pitieth his children. So the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And uh, for he knoweth our frame and remembereth that we are but what? Dust. Frail, dust, feeble people that need the mercy of God. I see my children and I see the sinful nature of them. And many a times they act upon their sinful nature and I have pity upon them thinking, oh, you fallen race, look at you. And one day you'll come to know the second Adam and know what it means to walk in the newness of life. And that's what God wants for every single one of us. But it is a shame to see adults acting like children in this area. Uh, this is why Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, as children, don't, don't have malice as children. See, children, uh, although they have a fallen nature, they're not malicious. But imagine an adult entertaining the flesh and being, you know, uh, stubborn and proud and uh, they lack humility altogether. That, that's just a, a bad recipe for disaster. But I see those little children and hope and pray that one day they will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour and understand what it means to walk in the newness of life and to put on the new man and walk in love. Not to see them compete with one another. Destroy one another. Being unkind one to another. But understand what the love of God means and how he wants us to imitate that. Because the opposite is true. And the opposite is true and it's found in verse 31 of Ephesians 4. I want you to see it. We're told to put off this. Uh, verse 32, they're the things that we're supposed to put on. And verse 31, they're the things that we're supposed to put off. If you remember last week's message, putting off the old man and putting on the new man and being renewed in our mind. And so here, Paul gives us several things, at least six things. Six things that oppose the character of God and hinder us from following after God. I mean, we're instructed to put them off. And put him away. Look at verse 31. That all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That all bitterness. This is what, what, what's bitterness? Well, it, it's to be simply uh, infected with a toxic, bitter attitude toward others who have wronged you. Bitterness is like a cancer. It's born by an offence that has not been dealt that has not been dealt with biblically and over time it begins to fester and eat away at not only your life but relationships and those that are around you it's toxic it defiles many it's not gracious bitterness is opposite from being gracious and loving and kind and tender-hearted it's not gracious at all it focuses on the hurts instead of the helps and has no room or makes no room to make the wrong right. It's just bitter. It's closed. Big wall. Stone face. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs. That a brother offended is like having like the bars of a castle. You cannot break in. They're bitter. 
hard, callous. It has uh, an offended spirit that refuses to reconcile. A preacher said, he put it like this, the old life comes from a hostile heart of bitterness, seeks its own way, speaks evil and wishes evil on others. How do we put away all bitterness? He says, by letting God fill our hearts with his perfect love. The new life is tender-hearted, shows itself in acts of kindness and is ready to forgive wrongs suffered from others. And then second of all, he talks about not only putting all bitterness aside or away, but also wrath and anger. This is an act of uh, an untempered manner. It, it is to take revenge upon the offender. It's to act quickly. It gives no room for mercy. It is a harsh judgment without any forbearance. There's no room. It's cut and dry. It is a, for, it, 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 it is a form of hasty judgment. You know what forbearance is? It's to forbear with people. In other words, it gives them time. Time to think about the wrong. Uh, it, it, it waits and sees. It prays for the person. It forbears. But in the flesh, if someone's wronged you, they've hurt you, you want to act quickly. You don't give any room. It's cut and dry. Away with them. They've offended me. It's, it's, it's nasty. And by the way, this is, this is the uh, a fleshly anger and, and wrath. We know and understand there is a, a proper uh, righteous anger and wrath that God has simply demonstrated and, and will demonstrate. But there's a fast difference between the two. Because if you know and understand God, he's slow to anger. You know, he's, he's, he's not quick-tempered. He doesn't deal with us hastily. He forbears with us. As a matter of fact, uh, he says that God is not willing that any should perish. But all come to what? What's that based upon? The love of God, the forbearance of God, the long-suffering of God. And so we see also clamor. This is an absurd outcry. Clamor, that's what clamor is. It is to make a situation hostile. It is a form of manipulation that plays the victim. It makes little insects into great big things. It, 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 it exaggerates. It, it has a characteristic of exaggeration and acts unseemly. It's unbecoming. It blows things out of proportion. There's no care, no concern for the other party. It's all about self. Clamour almost gives room for, for, gives, sorry, no room for reasonable communication. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Charity doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. But the opposite is true. Clamour, outcry, ah! unreasonable blowing things out of proportion creating things that are not true it is almost acting like a little child going on a rampage and falling to the ground and having a temper tantrum it's the same but in an adult form it acts foolishly instead of being rational it might say things like you always do that 
And you go back, always do that? Like, come on, let's think about that statement. Come on, I don't always do that. You know, that's just an example. I'm sure I can go on and on and give other examples of what clamor is. It's outrageous. It, 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 it's irrational. It doesn't think right. It acts unseemly. It's unbecoming. It's fleshly. Gives no room for reconciliation. No room at all. And then evil speaking. This is a big one. Evil speaking covers corrupt communication that includes tail-bearing. You know what tail-bearing is? It's, it's, it's creating stories and, and passing them on from one person to another. It, it, gossiping, slandering, blaspheming. Uh, evil speaking, I, I'll tell you this, is the very thing that grieves the Spirit of God and cripples the walk of a Christian. I'm telling you. Uh, Ephesians 4.29, have a look. Let no what? Let no what? Let no what? Corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of what? Edifying, building up, that it may minister what? Grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you were sealed unto the day of redemption. If anything saddens the heart of God, it is corrupt communication. Communication that is defiled, tail-bearing, gossiping, slandering, blaspheming. I mean, if, if, if you are causing you know, grief to the Spirit of God, and, uh, then you're not going to produce the, the fruit of the Spirit, which one of them is love. And therefore, you will not follow or imitate God. You can, you can mark it down. And you know what can happen? This also means there'll be no room for, for a, a, a real heartfelt kindness, tenderness, or forgiveness. As a matter of fact, you can, you know, uh, have a great chance of living a hypocritical Christian life and mimicking the character of God with no power. And that's the worst of it. In other words, you put on kindness. It's, it's fake. Because, why? Because you're double-tongued. You're talking about that person behind their back and you're not talking about them to edify them or restore them. You're talking about them to destroy them. But yet you're doing kind gestures. Oh, we, don't you know? We're supposed to uh, love our enemies by doing good things and feeding them and giving them water. But you're not doing it with a heart that is filled with the Holy Spirit out of love. You're doing it to, to, to show yourself to be something that you're not before God. It, it's, it is honestly, hypocritical love is one of the disdained, you know, characteristic of not only of Christians, but non-Christians. It is the worst thing to have. This is why we're told in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affection one to another, with brotherly love and honour, preferring one another. You know, uh, to have love without dissimulation means without any hypocrisy, look at, or dishonesty. True God-like love never undermines integrity of a Christian and never violates truth. It always maintains integrity. It always speaks truth and it's honest. 
The love of God is full of light and truth. There is no darkness. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Charity rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. This is why John states in 1 John 3, 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and what? Truth. Because when your mouth is moving to hurt people in a corrupt manner, and not really for the edification of others, but their destruction. I guarantee you, you're grieving the spirit. And there's no love there. And everything is put on after that. And that's dangerous. I believe one of the worst and most distasteful attitude to, is to have a two-faced, double-tongued lace with a phony and fake love. It is the worst thing. Listen, I never wanted in my life, in the life of my children, or in the church, run from this toxicity. I'll tell you, hypocritical love damages relationships in the long run. In the long run. Because it can't put it on long enough. Because soon it will be exposed. Hypocritical love is to make people believe you care for them, but you think evil about them in your heart. And the, Pro the Proverbs says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. It seems like his heart is with you by what he's saying in his hospitality, but not, it's not there. It's hypocritical love. It's, it's, it's love with dissimulation. It, it is dishonest. And it's toxic. It's vicious. It's, it's the worst kind of love. It is, it is selfish love. A hypocritical love is to pretend to be interested in others with a motive that is selfish. It's like having the spirit of Delilah. You know the spirit of Delilah. You know the story about Delilah? She never cared for Samson. She never loved Samson. Samson loved her, but she sure didn't love him. And she manipulated him. And she took advantage of his love. Oh, Samson, if you love me, you will tell me. Oh, you don't love me, Samson. By the way, never ever manipulate people for their love. Never do that. Because now they're just going to put it on for your sake. It's not even going to be genuine. I don't know about you, but don't you want to have genuine love in your life? Don't you want to have genuine people that love you? And it needs to be like God, uncorrupted. And it needs to be in the Spirit of God. And if you're in the Spirit of God, then the tongue needs to be tamed. And I'm afraid today that our tongue runs rampant. It does. And it puts us out of sorts with God. And we can't walk in the Spirit of God. And the people that we spoke about, when we see them, we're like, hi! But just a moment ago, you spoke ill about them. Never to help them. Never to care for them. Never to see them built up and edified. And that's how you create phony Christians in the church that destroy one another, in families, in workplaces, is because you speak with a double tongue. It's the worst thing that can ever happen to anybody. This is why David said in Psalm 12, verse 1 to 2, he says, help, Lord. Lord, help. Why, why is he saying that? For the godly man ceaseth. Godly man? Who are the godly man? The man that speaks a, with a single mouth. 
Not a necessarily a man that stays away from alcohol and sex and drugs and all that. Well, good, good, good. But a man that really has a heart like God, a man that loves like God, who is honest like God, who cares like God. He says, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with a flattering lip and with a double heart. Do they speak? It's the worst thing. It's the worst thing. And there are times that you speak about other people for their concern and well-being and you pray for them, good. But when it crosses the line, and you know what I'm talking about. I tell my, I tell my wife when we're talking about things and we say, we need not to cross that line. And what's that crossing that line? When you grieve the Spirit of God and, and that love turns into bitterness. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians, not on, it's not on the screen, but it will be in your Bibles for sure. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. And don't let the sun go down upon your what? Because it can fester the righteous indignation that you have. And if it's not dealt with properly, it becomes from concern to gossiping. And you can be out of sorts with God. And yes, there are some things that are true. And yes, you ought to be uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, righteously indignant about that. But love has to make room for restoration and a plan of action to restore those that have fallen or those that have offended us. It has to. God always does. He always does. That's why in the same chapter we're told to preach or teach the truth in what? Love. You find it in Ephesians 4. But I'm afraid under the banner of doctrine and truth, people have, uh, you know, given away, if you will, this characteristic. Did you know we can have both? Did you know that we can stand for truth and yet be kind and gentle and loving to people? Did you know that? We can. We can. Faith without works is dead and works without love is dreadful. It, it's, it's ugly. It's terrible. Works, yes. We need the work of God done in our life, but if it's a work of God, guess what? It's going to be accompanied with the love of God. Putting on works to prove your faith in the fleshly means only creates a monster because being two-faced is a monster. Don't you think that? It is. And I don't want to be two-faced. I don't want to be double-tongued. Oh, the worst thing about it is when you hear someone say, oh, so-and-so said this about you and you didn't hear it from that person. And all of a sudden when you go and see that person, the other person puts something in your mind about that person, how they feel about you, and you're like, what do I do here? And so you take it to God in prayer, or you approach that person, and you say, look, so-and-so said this, is this true? Oh, it's a terrible thing, brethren. Living the Christian life without the love of God and walking in love is a terrible thing. It's terrible. It's toxic. To live the Christian life in a heartless, merciless manner is not becoming a Christian. It's not walking like God walked. Notice 1 Corinthians 3 verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt and have not charity, it profits me what? Nothing. It's all in vain. Living the Christian life without the love of God is all in vain. It's nothing. And don't you worry about someone else's love and how they're walking with God. Worry about your love and how you're walking with God. Because that's another problem. I'd only love them if they love me. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us to love them unconditionally regardless. In the measure of context that allows us to love them in. Because we love the unsaved and we love the saved different in, in, in the way our, uh, we, we interact with them in our relationship. It's different. Our, the way we deal with our children and spouses, it's different to the way we deal with relationship in other contexts. But the, but the bottom line is we ought to have this love that communicates well the love of God that helps every relationship and it says he to be put away from you with all what what's that with all what malice bitterness clamor what was after bitterness Ephesians 4 verse 31 bitterness wrath, wrath. anger wrath clamor evil speaking be put all away with what with all because they go hand in hand all of them all these six characteristics defile oppose the love of God and they go hand in hand you know what malice means it has a connotation of being heartless it's it, it, it has a mean spirit with the intent to injure it's merciless it lacks God's love. That's what it is. You may ask me, what does this have to do with following after God? And imitating God? And I would say to you, everything. You say, why? Because God's not like this. God's not Ephesians 4.31. God is Ephesians 4.32. God is not bitter. God is slow to wrath. God is not clamorous. He has it all together and doesn't act irrationally. God is not hypocritical. He always speaks the truth. His communication is not corrupt. God is not malicious. You trace the forbearance of God from beginning to end and you always see that God is good and is altogether lovely and is merciful. Well, you have the man that's not regenerated that is simply vicious but then you have the Christian that walks in the flesh that looks like an unbeliever that is worse and then we don't want to be like that that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4 don't be like those Gentiles that walk in the vanity of their mind don't be like that put off and put on and the only way to do that is to imitate God and to be followers of Him. Listen, this is where it begins. If we're not following after God, there's no way we're going to put off and put on. It's like what James says. You know, submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. But there's no way you're going to resist the devil if you're not submitted to God. 
And if you're not following God, imitating God, walking in the footsteps of God, then there's no way that you're going to have the character of God in your life. No way. It's one thing that the world doesn't live like God, but it's surely another thing when a Christian doesn't live like God, walk as followers of God. And when they don't, we, we, we're told to deal with them. 1 Corinthians 5. We don't deal with the people that are unsaved. God deals with them. But we deal with the people that say that they're Christians and all they do in the church is cause trouble and divide with their tongue and have fake love. And God, help us that we're not like this. That we don't have this. That we're genuine people. That if we have a problem with somebody, we tell them, and restore our relationship with that person before it gets out to any other one. But we don't have that today, do we? We should. We must. May God help us have this God-like love. Even as, even as, Christ or God, for Christ's sake, forgave us you know the door of forgiveness always and must always be open for those that offend us and you say well how can I forgive them if they haven't asked me for forgiveness how how can I do that we're going to see that in the next uh, part when we preach on this because I, I don't have time to go to the supremacy of love nor on the subjects of love but we will see it because there's two types of forgiveness that is the same. There's one that says, look, I forgive this person, although he hasn't asked for it. In other words, the door is open. In other words, when they come to you asking for forgiveness, guess what? You're going to forgive them and they're genuine. There's the forgiveness that we find in Christ when he says, when he hung on that cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So did, did, did these people receive the forgiveness of God? I mean, are they, re, are they regenerated? Are they going to heaven because Jesus said that? No, there has, to be a, there has to be a brokenness from their part to say, look at Jesus opened the door of forgiveness. He's willing to have God forgive us after we put him on the cross. He's willing. And you must be willing. As, uh, uh, you must be willing. There's, a, there's people that I've met, I've gone back and forth and says, I won't forgive that person until they come and ask me. I said, look, I, I understand if they don't ask you, the relationship is not restored. I understand that. It's not restored. When they repent, when they ask for forgiveness and realize that they've offended you, then the relationship can be restored. I understand that. But if you don't forgive them or have the door of forgiveness there, Guess what's going to happen to you? It's going to eat you. Bitterness. Because God is forever willing, ready to forgive. Are you ready to forgive when someone's hurt you? Or are you ready to take vengeance? Plot, plan, go for the kill. That's not how God works. God doesn't do that. You know, if you study the forbearance of God and understand how long-suffering God was with you, then you'll be so long-suffering with others. Amen?
Let's pray.